Welcome to the Leadership Disrupted Podcast. This is Dan Rust. In today's episode, we're going to be focused on leading a team, a department, or an entire organization after a large layoff. I studied more than 8,000 employees who survived a corporate layoff and discovered that, on average, their productivity, quality, and engagement all declined significantly, even though they had survived the layoff. Retention rates of these employees also declined sharply, so employers were losing more of those they had planned to keep. Even the layoff of only a few or even just one employee can have a significant negative impact on those remaining. So my goal in this episode is to help you understand the research and recommended leadership strategies to keep employees motivated and engaged during difficult times, especially after layoffs. We'll be talking about pre-layoff preparation and communication, the expected decline in the layoff survivors' passion, creativity, and commitment, how employees mask their true feelings, the impact of even a small or a singular layoff, and what kind of leader do they need now during a challenging period like this. We'll also talk about post-layoff communication cadence and how to avoid losing your most effective and productive layoff survivors. the course of the last 20 years, I've done a number of uh, research studies related very specifically to the the aftermath of layoffs and how those impact organizational culture. And we're going to dive deep into uh, some of that uh, content here over the course of the next couple of minutes. Um, I do just wanted to uh, briefly mention that my first um, experience with a survivor mentality goes all the way back to, uh, I'll be dating myself, goes back to the 70s and my first uh, survival uh, camping experience. Um, I was in scouting and um, happened to have a couple of scout leaders who loved uh, survivalist-oriented camping, basically uh, go out into the wilderness with almost nothing and uh, and figure out how to stay for for one week or two weeks and, and how to stay alive. The good news is we all lived. Uh, in general, we were all better for the ex- experience and and no one got uh, kicked off of the, uh, the island, so to speak. And I think what was somewhat unique about that sort of survivalist experience is we knew, you know, we knew we were a team, we knew we were in this together and uh, nobody was gonna be cut for the, from the herd or nobody was gonna be uh, booted off of the island, so to speak. So even though it was a pretty harsh environment um, from a, a you know, actual camaraderie standpoint, it was actually you know, quite positive and, and life affirming. Um, with that said, of course, that makes it very different than the typical um, survivor mentality when it comes to uh, corporate layoffs. And so, as I said, uh, I've been studying layoffs and corporate culture for for quite some time and if any of you joined this uh webinar uh, because you're looking for advice for the non-survivors for people who have been laid off that's really not the focus of today's webinar today's webinar is helping uh, organizations and leaders deal more effectively with those who have survived but if you've got someone in your life or in your organization who has been laid off and they're looking for more of a survival guide uh, and uh, perhaps a guide for you know their next 
uh, career opportunities that comes along or to maximize the potential for, for getting that next career opportunity. Here's my recommendation, uh, and, and I, will, I will admit to be totally uh, biased because this is my book published by HarperCollins, and it's a you know, mo modest bestseller in the career guidance genre, but it is really designed to help people navigate uh, the sometimes difficult world of corporate uh, culture and politics, and it's a, it's a realistic uh, survival guide is how it's been described by, by some people to me. So with that, we're going to move into actually you know, how we uh, help the people who are still with our organizations as we navigate the waters of, of, of a large corporate layoff. And as I said, I've been studying the impact of layoffs on corporate culture and both the surviving employees as well as the career trajectories of those laid off. And I've compiled the results of numerous global surveys, uh, most being conducted in the immediate aftermath of massive layoffs that resulted from global economic downturns. And I've conducted my own surveys studying more than 4,000 employees who have survived corporate layoffs in the past decade. And one of the major paradoxes, or is that paradox I? I'm not sure what the plural of paradox is. is. I'm, I'm going to say paradoxes, uh, is that while one might expect engagement to, to be heightened after a, uh, a round of layoffs because you've got fewer employees, you know, all you certainly have their attention, you know, no, no doubt, but actual engagement uh, of the remaining employees tends to drop when you need it most. Um, you may, you may have a hard time discerning that level of engagement because many of our employees uh, engage in a, a behavior that I call masking because they're not going to be overtly disengaged, but more covertly disengaged. And we'll dive into that in just a bit. But I really think to understand the impact of layoffs on our retained employees, we have to go back about 50,000 years to when our species first came into existence. We were hum humanoids. We were not the strongest or the fastest or the most resilient. Uh, we weren't even the smartest, it turns out. In fact, we were quite vulnerable as a species, but certain evolutionary traits allowed our human species to thrive even as other hominid species around us perished. We lived in populations that were never bigger than 150 people, small, stable groups with very high social cohesion, strong relationships and interdependencies, and for the 40,000 of, of, of the 50,000 years our species has existed, this is how we lived. This is how our brains evolved to thrive through cooperation in a small, trusted group. And this is how we are wired still today. It's, it's actually only in the past 10,000 years, which is barely a blink of an eye when it comes to you know, development of our, of our brains. It's only in the last 10,000 years with farming that we were able to live in populations larger than 150. And only with industrialization in the past 200 years that we've lived and worked in even larger populations, which means from an evolutionary perspective, our brains are still wired for living in small, stable groups with very high social cohesion within the group. But 
our living and working environment has become vastly more complex. We essentially work with strangers. We don't choose our colleagues for the most part. We choose a job. And then we set about figuring out how to work well within the new tribe, so to speak, hoping that we won't get ejected from the group or cut from the herd during the next round of layoffs. And that presence or that potential of, of, of a layoff or potential of things not working out is, is an ever-present stressor for many people in the corporate working world. Our brains are not made for a business environment where we might feel the need to watch our back because not everyone can be trusted to look out for us or not everyone can be depended on to carry their fair share of the workload where the rewards are not necessarily distributed evenly or based upon contribution to the group. And, and I'm not passing judgment on the modern work environment. I'm just observing that we are not naturally wired to work productively in an environment where we might have a leader and colleagues or coworkers that we don't know well or with it, we don't particularly trust, or we might have a job that we don't particularly like or doesn't seem too particularly important to the rest of the group, where we have little influence or control over our, our environment, where we don't really feel deeply connected to the people that we work with. So in many ways, from an evolutionary standpoint, we're not made for this. As far as our brain is concerned, all the rules of being human are exactly the same as they used to be. When we were living in populations of about 150, and our brains yearn for that connection and that reassurance that comes with it, what some people refer to today as psychological safety. Our brains yearn for that. It is a deep evolutionary need. So. If you can understand that as a leader, you can understand that the impact of a layoff, even of just a single colleague, is significant. You can understand what works and what, imagine for a moment, you show up for Thanksgiving dinner with your family one year, and you're sitting around the table, and your Uncle Joe, who's always been there, is, is not there, and you ask, oh, hey, where's Uncle Joe? And the answer is, oh, you know what? It just didn't work out. Uh, we, 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 we parted ways. I mean, it, that, that's the kind of uh, it, emotional shock that uh, we, we experience, whether it's conscious or not. But if you understand that, you can understand what works and what doesn't work in terms of supporting your group after a layoff. You can understand how to lead them in a way that lines, aligns with our evolutionary development. And I think every great leader understands, sometimes consciously, but often just instinctively, great leaders understand that we are social animals. Even, even introverts have their own version of being a social animal. And we respond to the environments that we're in, always. Our brain is wired to think that our very survival depends on our ability to cooperate and trust the people that we live and work with. And layoffs, cutting some of our psychological family, our evolutionary tribe, our friends and colleagues, cutting some of them from the herd, so to speak, destroys that trust. And I do mean destroys, which means that trust has to be regained, it has to be re-earned, and that is the job of leadership. So if your organization downsized recently, uh, you're now managing a, a group of survivors. The the quote-unquote lucky ones who didn't get left off. But good fortune 
does not make for good performance, at least not in a situation like this. Chances are you're presiding over a heightened level of employee dysfunction, even if you don't see it yet. And oftentimes the dysfunction is in fact masked. Layoffs tend to increase employees' levels of stress, burnout, and insecurity, and to decrease morale, job satisfaction, and of course, trust. And these changes, they're greater than, uh, it's greater than just um, increasing post uh, layoff turnover. Although oftentimes what happens is uh, uh, three to six months after a layoff, you, you actually see a wave of unplanned turnover where employees who, who were quote unquote lucky, who were saved, uh, in fact, make proactive choices to move on. And oftentimes these are the employees you absolutely need to retain, you were counting on retaining. Um, oftentimes there's a, a diminished willingness of employees to help one another, or uh, a, a lot of research has indicated that uh, post layoffs, um, job and company performance is, is dramatically diminished. And evidence from several researchers suggests that downsizing does dampen the creativity and innovation of the survivors. Uh, you know, potentially they go into their, their fight, fight or flight mode, and uh, oftentimes this does diminish innovation, creativity. And it is clear that productivity, quality, and engagement all decline significantly as a result of a layoff. And so as a leader, your goal obviously is to, number one, minimize the negative impact, but then at, at a certain point, lead or guide your organization back to a level of, of productivity that is, that is sustainable. So the interesting part of this is while you may have employees going through challenges like this as they're as they're working to figure out how do we how do we navigate this layoff? What do we do? How do we handle the workload? Who's going to be doing what? How do we establish you know, new connections, new relationships? How do we work with people that maybe we haven't had to work with before in, in, in new ways? Um, the, the stress underlying that is not always going to be right in your face. Oftentimes, that stress is going to be masked. So you may have employees feeling particularly down and debilitated and yet and also feeling um, isolated feeling alone feeling a sense of we might say doom and gloom um, and I, I think a good way to um, really summarize the impact of layoffs on survivors is there is something called survivor's guilt which is feeling a little bit like why me? Why do I, you know, I'm grateful that I was saved, but um, now I feel awkward and uncomfortable. Some people that I, you know, think of as friends, think of as colleagues, people I, that I may have been in, in my world for uh, months or years or decades even. Now suddenly, how do I reach out to him and just say, hey, uh, if there's anything I can do to help, uh, let me know. That's, you know, it's a very, puts people in a very awkward position. They also experience, uh, grief, m much like the the mourning, mourning the loss of a loved one, grief and stress, and of course, 
paranoia and insecurity. I mean, no matter what, one of the common questions, whether it's spoken or not, oftentimes unspoken, the question is, is this, is this it? Is this the end? Is this the, are, or are there going to be more layoffs? Um, so there is the loss of trust, loss of psychological safety. But you add to that, you know, you diminish your work, uh, uh, your working staff by 10%. The workload typically does not diminish by 10%. So you have fewer people having to maintain, for the most part, the same workload. Uh, so you have your remaining staff having a workload increase. Um, and oftentimes, you're losing the informal knowledge or informal expertise. When you lay off workers who have been with your organization for decades and they walk out the door, sure, a lot of their knowledge base is in, is in the systems and documents that they leave behind, but an awful lot of it is also in their heads and they, as they walk away with that. So now you've got a remaining staff who has to work more and may have lost now some of the uh, uh, brain power as it walked out the door. So it makes the, it make, makes it even more difficult to do the job that needs to be done, which then of course adds to the productivity decline, which, which adds to the innovation and creativity decline and adds to the retention risk. Meaning again, employees who are suddenly experiencing all of this may say to themselves, man, first of all, I don't know if I'm going to survive, I don't know if there's going to be another round of layoffs. I can't be sure. So at least I'm going to start looking. At least I'm going to put my toe in the water and see what else is out there. And the moment they start putting their toe out in the water, you know, it's so easy now to go to Indeed, you go to LinkedIn Jobs, you go to Monster, you go wherever, and you just start looking and suddenly the world starts feeding you opportunities and you start seeing that maybe the grass does look to be a bit greener um, on the other side. So, uh, so this is you know, typically what employees are going through. Uh, now you may be saying to yourself, hey, I've been talking to my employees and, and at least here, they seem to be fine. We're talking about it openly. I'm asking them about their concerns. I let them know that my door is always open and I'll do everything I can to make, you know, to smooth things over. I, I think we're okay. This is where it becomes important for leaders to be discerning, to, to understand that expression of fear takes many forms in the corporate world. Agreement, even over agreement, smiling, engaging, laughing, joking, talking, these can all be expressions of fear. They can also be exactly what they are. Smiling can be smiling. Sometimes a smile is a smile. Sometimes a smile is simply a mask uh, that is being put on because of fear. So when you pull everyone together for a pep talk, when you speak with employees individually, one of the most challenging things for leaders is to understand the tendency toward masking and, and how good they are at it. We all are good at masking when we need to mask. The fight or flight response to stressful situations is strong in situations like this. And for most people, it is their flight response that takes over. So they tend to mask any emotions that they think might not serve them well. Do I want my boss to know that I'm down? Do I want my supervisor to know that I'm feeling debilitated? 
do I want my leader to know I'm a little annoyed and I don't think that uh, this was handled you know, particularly well. Um, I may think all those things, I may feel all those things, but I may mask them because that's maybe not what's gonna serve me, not gonna serve my immediate needs. Um, and of course, for some, it is the fight response that dominates. And we'll discuss that in a moment as well. But for now, let's just acknowledge that what is really going on with your employees lies beneath the surface. So let's see what the data tells us from lots of individual conversations and lots of surveys over the last 20 years. What does the data tell us is really going on with our employees as we, um, as they encounter massive layovers, uh, layoffs? So let's back up uh, to 30,000 feet and let's look at a couple of global trends. Uh, I compiled the results of a number of employee engagement and attitude surveys, uh, a couple of which have been uh, delivered consistently year after year after year over the course of 20 years. And so what you, so this is a, a there's a 20 year trend um, and it's a trend toward de decreasing trust and increasing cynicism. Um, and you see it particularly in the last couple of years, a, a spike upwards in uncertainty and cynicism and a spike downwards in, in perceptions of you know, trusting business leaders. And so when a layoff occurs, it's occurring within this context, in the context of a society that is already less trusting, already more cynical, already doubting the authenticity of leaders, the ethics of, of leaders. So this just makes it all the more challenging. You can handle a layoff perfectly in the most empathetic and sensitive way possible. You can be generous, as generous as you can be to those who are being laid off and still find yourself in a situation where nobody trusts you, nobody trusts the business because the layoff that's occurring is happening within, within this context overall. Um, and with that, a number of surveys have indicated, particularly surveys in the last five to eight years, have indicated um, some very specific findings. For example, um, when surveyed, 68% of employees who, who survived, who kept their job amidst a corporate layoff, said that their own productivity had declined since the layoff. And, and as you might imagine, the stress of going through a layoff can be can have a drastic impact on anyone's personal productivity. The emotional energy spent wondering, am I next or, or why me? It can, it can take a significant toll on productivity. And also emotions like guilt and anxiety, they're well known to decrease productivity and decrease personal effectiveness. So in, in post layoff surveys, it's not a surprise that an average of 68% of people say that their personal productivity has declined since the layoff happened. Now, 9% say that their productivity has improved. Think about that for a moment though. If you are discerning, you'll at least consider the possibility that some of those 9% are masking. They're not sure who is reviewing these results and they don't want to admit to a decline in productivity just in case you never know who might have access to this data. So, if you if you uh, sam if you if you carefully um, scrub through the data, 
and select only surveys where there's clear, absolute confidentiality, no doubt, because the survey is being done by a third party and has no connection at all to a particular employer. When there is absolute confidentiality, that 9%, it drops down to 2%. So very you know, very few employees are saying, hey, after the layoffs, I'm, I'm much more productive than I, I was in the past. Um, this next uh, survey question, uh, since the layoffs, from what I've seen, the productivity of my coworkers has, you, uh, as you can see, 65% report that it has declined, 31% say it stayed the same, and 4% report uh, a productivity improvement in their coworkers. And while it's certainly easier for an employee to assess their own productivity, the productivity declines of everyone around them are apparently large enough that other people do notice, with 65% of people saying that productivity of their colleagues has declined following uh, a layoff. Um, I think this, this next number um, ask, an, answers to the question, since the layoffs, the quality of our company's products and services has, and you see 62% report that the quality of products and services has declined, 34% report stayed the same, 4% uh, report an improvement. Um, again, part of that is going to be skewed by the employee's perception um, perception of what's actually been, been happening. But it's reasonable to expect that if we have 100% of the workforce doing 80, uh, doing the 100% of the work being done by now 80% of the workers, the quality is likely to decline. Much of the time when a company undertakes the layoff, it's because they've run out of other options. Um, and that in turn means that they're probably a bit rushed, a bit frantic. And in that hectic state, it's to be expected that operational assignments get missed. I mean, even in the best of times when, when companies go through changes, oftentimes one of their, their struggles is to make sure that op, they operationalize the changes. So if in, in the frantic pace of a mass layoff, oftentimes workloads are not carefully reassigned and the potential for mistakes or just, or just missed work is very high. And in addition to all of that, it's also likely that the emotional fatigue and the survivor's, survivor's guilt will contribute to a degraded work product. That probably is the reason why 62% say that the quality of the company's product or service has declined since the layoffs. Um, and you know, hopefully this isn't you know, too much of a downer for you, but I do want us to, to take a, you know, a moment to just embrace the brutal real reality to really understand and accept the brutal reality. So um, in addition, in uh, these surveys, 83% uh, of the surviving workers say that the service the customers receive has declined. And, and I'm going to focus not on the business impact of declining customer service, but on the emotional or, or cultural impact to the employees themselves. None of us wants to work for an organization where we see a decline in customer service or a decline in customer centricity. So when asked about the quality of customer service and 83% of surviving workers saying that the service that customers receive has declined, it's of course likely that this is due even more strongly to survivor's guilt and the emotional fatigue that is experienced by the surviving uh, employees. And, uh, Customer service typically requires a high level of emotional labor. So it's easy to imagine that a job that's requiring empathy 
or sensitivity to customer needs might be extremely difficult when we're feeling guilty, anxious, or angry. And of course, these are very common emotions following a layoff. And to whatever degree your surviving employees are perceiving this decline in customer centricity, it is another driver of post layoff turnover. It's another indicator that, oh man, so this is what the future is going to look like here. And whether that's right or wrong, it tends to drive some employees to, to move on. The next survey finding was that 87% of surviving workers say that they are less likely to recommend their organization as a great organization to work for. And there are many factors that drive employee engagement, but we know that. But one big factor is going to be the extent to which an employee believes that the company values them and their work. And while a downsizing is sometimes unavoidable, unavoidable it is likely to leave employees feeling like they're not valued by the company. Even the remaining, even the surviving employees, while we would hope that they would feel valued because we chose to retain them, in many cases, the employees look to how the non-survivors were treated as the actual indicator of what the company thinks of or how the company feels about or how the company values the, the employees overall. They may keep me because they need me, but what they did to him, I know that's what reveals how they really think. And then additionally, if a reduction in force was a complete shock or not communicated with empathy or transparency, that can further erode employee engagement. And all of those are reasons why 87% of surviving workers say that they're less likely to recommend their organization as a great organization to work for. And then 62% um, of surviving workers through surveys say that they believe their company's future prospects are worse. Even when a downsizing is conducted in order to right-size the organization, when from a business strategy point of view, maybe from the C-suite or from the senior leadership suite, we can see that actually the downsizing gives us a brighter future. It right-sizes us. That in most cases is not the perception that makes its way or filters its way down through the organization. Um, it's still likely to be a shock to employees and it'll shake their confidence in the company's future prospects. And that's likely why 62% of surviving workers say that they believe their company's future prospects are, are worse. Of course, the more leaders know how to motivate employees and inform employees, the more they can do this and the more they can clearly explain the rationale behind the decisions and how the decisions actually do structure or set up the company for a brighter future, the less likely it is for the employee's confidence to be damaged. However, as a leader surviving a layoff, you cannot assume that just because you've said it once or communicated it once, it's actually going to sink in to the psyche of your surviving employees. That whatever message you have about your company's bright future needs to be communicated and communicated and communicated and communicated again and again and again in a way that doesn't feel repetitive, in a way that doesn't feel like uh, you're, you're over communicating, but you do 
need to over communicate some of the core messages because if you don't then this is likely to be the the, the point of view of many of your employees um, there is also ample evidence across industries that as employee stress and employee burnout increase so too will will just errors and mistakes and employees are often suffering emotionally following a downsizing so it's not surprising that 79 percent of surviving workers say that they see more errors and more mistakes being made and it's quite possible even safety incidents tend to increase in the wake of of corporate layoffs it's quite possible that some of these mistakes and errors are occurring simply as a result of not effectively uh, redesigning the workload across a smaller workforce. And some of it is probably just based upon uh, less employee engagement, um, uh, less employee emotional presence in the workforce or in, in the workplace as well. So uh, in a number of surveys, employees were asked an open-ended question uh, asked just to describe their personal feelings. And you see a word a cloud here that captures the strength of what uh, you know various words were, were shared by employees. And uh, the most commonly used words were anger, guilt, and anxiety. Now, how might that anger, guilt, and anxiety present itself to you? Because of course, what I've presented now in the last 10, 12 minutes or so, is a pretty dire picture in terms of employee perception of, of, of layoffs. So what does that actually look like? Well, sometimes what it looks like is a smiling employee who is accommodating, who says, I understand why we're doing this. It makes sense to me. I feel optimistic about the future. I can understand it, um, and, uh, and and hey, thanks for your faith in me. Some of our employees who are most worried are also our greatest maskers. So again, just because everyone around you is is smiling and you know, handshaking and fist bumping and and looking hyper engaged does not mean that that's always what they're actually feeling inside. Um, and so, uh, what are you, as a leader, supposed to do about this? Um, well, the, the survey results actually give us an indicator about what we as leaders should be doing or need to do as, as well. Um, in fact, if you break down some of the ratings to some of the questions based upon um, how the employees rate their manager as part of the survey, Employees who rated their manager high in visibility and approachability and candor seem to, when, when they're asked the question about their, their personal productivity after the layoff, the results are very different. Only 25% of those employees report that their productivity has declined uh, and 13% report that their productivity has, has improved, as opposed to those employees who rate their manager as moderate or low in visibility, approachability, and candor, they report a, an 89% decline in personal productivity, and only a 2% uh, of them report an improvement in productivity. So clearly, at least purely from the employee's perspective, when you have a manager who is visible, who is approachable, and who is candid with you, 
you are much more likely to rate your own productivity as not declining and potentially even improving, or at the very least staying the same in the post layoff period. So how do we um, approach those three issues of visibility, approachability, and candor? Well, the first thing we have to understand is something called the leadership microscope. And what I mean by the leadership microscope is that as a leader, not just when layoffs have occurred, really throughout your life as a leader, you are under the microscope. Your employees are watching you carefully. They're watching your work habits. They're watching your schedule. They're watching your attention to detail. They may not, they may not, may not tell you, but they're watching. If you're one of those leaders who tends to show up for late, show up late for every meeting, it gets noticed. If you're a leader who makes mistakes in your emails or whose written communication oftentimes includes typos and grammatical errors, they notice. Leaders are under the microscope and, the, and the, the, the more you move up the leadership hierarchy, the more you move up the leadership ladder, the more attentive that the higher the power of that microscope is. So they're watching your body language, they're watching your facial expressions to the point where even in web meetings, if you're in a web meeting with someone and you as a leader, you're listening to one of your direct reports, share some ideas, and as she's talking, you're nodding, maybe even smiling, you're responding, and then another direct report shares their point of view or their ideas, and you go slightly flat and you're not as responsive uh, non-verbally to that person, you're not nodding as much, you're not smiling as much. It, it gets noticed, those micro behaviors get noticed and this is, this is just part of business. This is how this works day in and day out. You are under the microscope of your employees. So when a layoff occurs, the microscope power goes even higher. They, they aren't looking for what you say. They're looking for what you do. So you say all the right things, but you're not showing up for work at the same time that you used to. You're coming in 45 minutes late. You're leaving 30 minutes early. You seem to disappear at times. One day you show up and you're a little better dressed than you normally are. You know immediately the rumor mill starts. Oh, I think today's an interview day for him or her. Um, so every element of who you are gets, gets put under this leadership microscope. And is that, is that fair? No. Um, is it tough? Yes. But is part of the job. It just is part of the job. So it's important that you as a leader understand how under the microscope you are, and also that you don't expect your layoff survivors to be grateful. Some of them may express gratitude. Again, they may smile, they may put on a mask, and, and some may actually be grateful. But broadly speaking, that's not the emotion most of them are, are experiencing. And sometimes leaders put out a vibe that they're expecting that gratitude. They're expecting that they will, you know, this will drive engagement. And that vibe that you're putting out actually ends up making you less approachable and uh, it, it diminishes the trust that people have in you. So job number one, rule number one, I would say, is we're thinking about and talking about what to do in a layoff, a post layoff environment. 
Number one is be be visible. I would say be more visible than ever. And that means um, going out of your way. If you've got an office uh, like with a with with blinds, I would say even physically open the window shades, open the window blinds so that people can see into your office and that people don't wonder, hey, when the door is closed, what's really happening behind the, the, the closed door? Wander around. Don't you don't want to be too obvious about it. Um, you don't want to just you know show up in people's office with a mug of co- coffee and you know keep saying, hey, how's it going? Hey, what's happening or what's going on? But but find non-weird ways to be as visible as possible without it seeming like um, you know this is a, like an episode of uh, the, the TV series The Office. Make it make it non-awkward and non-weird, but be as visible as possible. And and show compassion for the laid-off workers. Again, we notice the little things. If you go on to LinkedIn and you post endorsements uh, for your laid-off workers, if you if you provide recommendations for your laid-off workers, if there are other things that you do for your laid-off workers, some of which might be uh, publicly visible, some might not be publicly visible. Um, offering any any type of support that you can for laid off workers this will get back to your current workers now i will say if this is a um dramatic change in your behavior you're not going to get quite as much credit for this you know for suddenly being a good guy or a good woman to the to the laid off uh, laid off workers um but if it's consistent with your previous behavior, and you in fact are working to stay engaged with the laid off workers to to do whatever you can, provide glowing references, uh, provide them guidance, uh, anything that you can can do to help soften the blow for the laid off workers, that will ultimately serve you with your surviving workers as well. Engage every day, find reasons, so again, Rule number one, don't be weird, don't be awkward, but find reasons to engage every day. Find reasons to have productive meetings, be approachable, be available to talk. When an employee does give off a, a, a sign or an indicator that um, they they want to talk, uh, if an employee asks you, hey, do you have do you have time? Do you have a few minutes? If you look at your calendar, and you've got a meeting coming up in 10 minutes, and it's not a critical meeting, I would say, absolutely, let's go sit down and talk, and let me let me move this meeting back by 30 minutes, or let me let me have my, my assistant reschedule this upcoming meeting. You wanna give people priority and show them that you're giving them priority whenever possible. So again, continuous engagement, and this goes, those, this does go against the emotional grain for many leaders, because of course you're as uncomfortable as everybody else. And that may be one of the biggest challenges as a leader. Yes, everyone is feeling these challenging emotions. You're feeling grief just like everybody else. You're feeling uncertainty just like everybody else. You may also be wondering, oh my gosh, is this the, you know, is this the end of it? Or is there going to be another round? And is, a, is the next round going to impact me? You may be as paranoid as everybody else, and as a leader, you just got to suck it up. You have to make sure that you are not in any way telegraphing your own paranoia 
telegraphing your own frustrations, telegraphing your own concerns and doubts. Remember that leadership microscope. They're going to be looking to you and they're going to be noticing not just what you say, but everything about what you do and how you show up each day. When it comes to where you focus your energies and efforts, there are probably going to be a fair number of conversations regarding things that can't be controlled. Uh, you know, why why did this happen? Uh, what was the thought process? Who was the decider? What was the you know, what was the process or rubric for deciding you know, who's in, who's out? Things are going to going to come up. Why why you know why aren't the uh, benefits better for the Layoff, laid off employees, what are the benefits? There'll be, there'll be lots and lots of things that people may want to talk about. And while you don't want to just close down those lines of conversation, because if someone has a thought or a concern, you want to give them the chance to air their concerns, to air their thoughts. But as much as you can, focus and redirect those conversations toward what can be controlled. Um, and no, no disrespect, and my next comment is intended, but um, even uh, horse trainers have, in the last few years, they've adjusted their way of training horses away from, you remember you know, back in the Wild West, or you watch old old Western movies, you probably have seen um, movie scenes of, of horses being broken, like being, you get on them and you ride them until they're exhausted and you quote unquote break the horse. With most modern horse trainers, that's not how training occurs today. They actually work very much to align and simply redirect uh, inappropriate behavior but uh, and reward positive behavior. So redirect and reward in a very positive way because that's what actually builds trust. So when someone brings up issues that aren't particularly within your span of control or within any of our span of control, Rather than saying to them directly, hey, I get that, but I've got no control over that. Let's just focus on what we can control. That might be a little too harsh, a little too abrupt. Instead, express empathy, engage in the dialogue, and then through your own questions, redirect the conversation toward issues that are actually controllable. Um, one interesting survey uh, result when people were asked about what annoyed them the most or what annoys them the most in, in their day-to-day -day work, for, of course, we're always frustrated by wasteful meetings. You know, in, in the normal workaday world without a layoff at all, wasteful meetings can be annoying and frustrating, but, but post layoff, wasteful meetings are a particular trigger for many employees because it feels like my workload has increased. I've got all these stresses and frustrations and now we're sitting here for 45 minutes or sitting here for an hour and I don't get why we're doing it and it is frustrating for me. And sometimes what happens is leaders schedule meetings because they want to, quote, be visible or they want to, quote, uh, have, give people a chance to air their concerns or whatever, whatever it might be. Or they simply don't change their meeting practice and they continue to have meetings the way they've had the meeting had meetings in the past. And I will just share with you, the issue of wasteful meetings is particularly a sensitive trigger for employees post layoff. So I would very carefully hone in on what's the purpose of our meetings, 
what is the agenda, what is the outcome, and how much time do we actually need. And if we actually only need 30 minutes for our weekly staff meeting, then let's book 30 minutes and not force people to sit for 45 or an hour if it's unneeded time. Or if we have some meetings on our calendars that aren't particularly needed or productive, at least giving them all a second look, a second glance to see are there meetings that we could potentially eliminate. We mentioned earlier that there is a perception that customer service diminishes after a layoff and product and service quality diminishes after a layoff. And there are, of course, two challenges with that. The first is with your customers. If they're experiencing uh, a lower quality product or service, if they're experiencing anything that, that's diminishing after a layoff, of course, that's going to create challenges. But for your existing employees, it's another set of challenges because nobody wants to work for a company that that is on the downward decline in terms of uh, the value that they have for their customers. So prioritize your activities and investments in terms of customer centricity. Let your employees know that the customer is still central to everything that we do and do everything that you can to boost the customer experience, to boost product and service quality, to take cost savings that may have occurred from the layoff. And if you are you are intending as an organization to save money in one place so that you can invest it in other places that are going to have an, a positive impact on customers, share that information, share that linkage, and share it again and again and again. Don't assume that because you say it once that it's going to sink into the psyche of your employees. And so I'm going to reiterate that message. It's not enough to communicate all of the right things in one communication and then feel, okay, one and done. We're, hey, I, we, we, we told them, hey, we told them why we did it. We told them how hard it is. And we told them that we are going to do everything we can to take care of the, the laid off employees. And we're going to do everything we can to take care of you. We gave them all the right messages once. So let's get on with it. It is not the way this works if you're truly going to lead your employees post layoff. Expect that every important communication should be delivered three times, four times, five times, weekly. Now, I'm not saying you send them the same email or you give them the same document and that, you, and that it, it shouldn't feel repetitive. It shouldn't feel like, hey, they're just hitting us over the head with that corporate message again. No, it should feel different and organic and instinctive and authentic each time it's delivered, and it might be delivered in, in big events, in small events, it may be delivered in one-on-one -on -one comments and conversations, but whatever your core messages are, deliver them again and again and again and again with congruency, both in your words and in your actions. I do think it's important to acknowledge the pain, not to pretend that there aren't any weeds in our garden. Acknowledge the pain. In fact, you might even want to go a little overboard in terms of acknowledging the pain. Embrace this really tough reality that uh, it feels weird to be a survivor. It feels weird to be both, um, hey, acknowledged as a keeper, so to speak, but also paranoid that, you know, are you a permanent keeper or are, this, or are you just a temporary keeper? We, I mean, there's this mix of, of um, wanting to be engaged, wanting to keep my job, 
wanting to know that I have security, wanting to feel empathy for the, 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 the employees that have left. There's this whole swirl of different emotions and it's okay that we, we all process this in a very different way and it's okay to acknowledge that that is happening and to let your employees know ever so briefly that you're going through the same swirl yourself. Now you don't want to come off as a wounded bird, but it is okay to let them in just a bit and let them understand that the pain they're experiencing is a pain that you experience as well, that you are not, you are not immune to the pain just because you are focused on moving forward and, and making sure that whatever benefits were supposed to accrue based on this layoff, if you're gonna go through the pain of the layoff, you had better be able to show the tangible benefits in the coming weeks, months, years, et cetera. And as a leader, you can let people know that that may be why they don't see you dooming and glooming a lot, even though you're feeling it on the inside, because your greatest responsibility is to make sure if we're going to experience this pain, we had better also experience the ultimate benefits in the long run from the pain that we're going through. And that's your job as a leader. A lot of comments from survivors post layoff about how there's an expectation that we're going to figure out the new workflow. Suddenly, you know, some people aren't here anymore. And the people, the way, you know, I, I've read it in some comments, and the people who made these decisions, they don't actually understand how work works here. So Joyce is gone. Who knows what Joyce did? Whoever made that decision did not understand Joyce's workflow. Who has access to Joyce's documents? Who has access to Joyce's process? Who has access to anything related to, to, to Joyce? How is Joyce's workload going to be distributed? And what frustrates employees is that in many cases, those conversations didn't occur before Joyce left. Now, we understand oftentimes why they don't occur, because who's gonna to go to Joyce and say, hey, by the way, I was just hoping, uh, no, 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 nothing intended here, but I was just hoping that you could give me access to all your documents and spend a couple of hours telling me exactly what you do and how you do it. You know, you, those are tough conversations to have prior to a layoff. Now, sometimes they should happen no matter what, even, even if they're uncomfortable or difficult, sometimes those conversations should happen, but, but I can understand why they sometimes do not. And so making it clear to employees where the accountabilities lie, how work is supposed to flow with, with employees, and also making it easier for employees to reestablish or establish new social ties with those who are remaining. Oftentimes now they're gonna be working with new people and don't expect that these new relationships are just gonna happen overnight automatically. So these relationships, they're forming they're, and, and storming uh, initially in, in some cases. So help or facilitate these new social ties occurring within the organization. Don't just assume that people will figure it out and uh, one of the last things I, I want to share is to be very intentional about showing your appreciation. Show appreciation individually, show appreciation in groups publicly, but be very intentional when you have someone who is clearly putting in extra effort, when you have someone who's clearly trying to proactively figure this out uh, and make things better and make things work, even in the face of their own uncertainties and challenges. Absolutely 
show appreciation. In fact, go overboard again with rule number one. Don't make it weird or awkward. You do have to be cautious about going overboard, but you do want to be intentional about showing appreciation. Leading a group of layoff survivors is no doubt challenging on many levels, not the least of which is that your own mental and emotional state may very likely be impacted by the layoffs, and yet you are expected to be the strong one, the bigger one, the one who keeps everyone else moving forward positively and productively. It isn't easy for leaders, but that is the job. Almost anyone can lead well during good times, when everything is going as planned. The tough times, that's when our real leadership capabilities are revealed or when they're developed. Okay, so that's all for today. Whatever podcast app you're using to listen to this program, obviously I hope that you'll like and share and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when new episodes get posted every Tuesday. In future shows, I'm going to invite leaders who have practical, real-world advice to share. And of course, I invite your questions and comments, which will also guide the direction of future shows. And as always, thank you for listening to Leadership Disrupted.